Okay, so it's been a minute. Hello, it is Shara Carruthers and you are listening to Live Like You Love Yourself. And yeah, time has flown since sharing our last podcast with you. You know, years ago when I was living in New York, it seemed like the fastest time of my life. I got a real sense for why they call it a New York minute because time there moved at what felt like warp speed. And so, yeah, it's felt like a New York minute since our last podcast, which in some ways is actually a little bit apropos because I figured out that our guest for this episode, Lucy Carnani and I were living in New York at the same time, way back then. Maybe we were destined to meet each other all these years later and a half a world away. You know, sometimes it really does feel like that. In any case, I could not be happier that I did finally meet Lucy in Jay Brown's weekly yoga teachers class and I was immediately drawn to her buoyant energy, her deep wisdom, and the fact that she was calling in from the same time zone as me. But little did I know what was in store. In a word, Lucy Carnani is a treasure. She's a longtime yogi, a yoga teacher, a teacher of yoga teachers. Lucy specializes in living and sharing the gifts of connection, which is the name of the book that she's written with her colleague, Jill Danks. And the way that she shares connection is through teaching, cultivating and practicing conscious communication. And as a client of hers, I can tell you that she most definitely walks her talk. What I love most about the way that she shares her work is the passion and the humility that she brings along with it. As well as that, she's got this dedication to making a difference in the lives of the people that she comes into contact with. And if you've ever met her, you'll know exactly what I mean. She's also lived a wild, varied, and incredibly interesting roller coaster ride of a life. And we talk about a little bit of that in, in our conversation. But what I've learned through talking with her and getting to know her is that she has a deep curiosity and sense of gratitude for where she's been and she considers herself forever the student of life and yoga. You know, Maria and I could have talked with Lucy for hours, but we managed to rein things in a little bit for this first of what will no doubt be many juicy conversations. So please enjoy this heartfelt chat that we had with the incomparable Lucy Carnani. Are we all ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel ready. Excellent. Okay. Well, then we'll just we'll just kick this off. Lucy, hello. 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 Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Hi, Maria. How are you? Hello. Great to have you. Yes, we're so excited to yeah. uh, to have this opportunity to, to talk with you. And so the question is always, how are you, and how are you doing in these times? Mm. I am great, actually. I'm. Yeah. I'm in some ways um, better than I've been in many, many, many years. Yeah. Fantastic. So, We've got to unpack <laughs> that one for sure, don't we? Yeah, I <laughs> Maybe I will. Um, <laughs> yeah, The and in these times, it's very concerning what's happening in these times. You know, I have a lot of family and dear friends in the US and mm. in fact, um, I was meant to relocate there in March, April this year, and I could be living over there right now, but thankfully I'm not. Um, Very grateful for that, but uh, you know, everything that's happening there, I won't recount any of the details, you're all probably familiar with them, but that's concerning. And uh, and I'm just 
uh, immersed in gratitude for what we have here in Australia and, and in particular in Sydney. I know less so in, unfortunately, Melbourne, but uh, yeah. yeah, so I'm, I'm great. <laughs> I'm great. So what about it has made it great for you? Has it yeah. given you some rest and respite or some space to be? Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Pretty much. I had been, um, you know, nonstop in general for about 20 years. Um, in fact, it was my 20th wedding anniversary in July this year. Oh, and so congrats. literally 20 years. Um, mm. Oh, actually, no, what I said, it's my 21st. Oops. Don't <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so it'd been 20 and a bit years. And, uh, and I was full-time parenting that whole time because, um, or not full-time parenting, I was also working as well. But I had, um, when I married my husband, he was a widower and I inherited two kids. So from the moment we came together, I, was, uh, I, I started off with a nine and a seven-year-old when I knew absolutely nothing about parenting. Wow. And, uh, and then we soon after had our third child and she um, left the nest last year, towards the end of last year. To, um, to go to college in the US. And, uh, and then the first part of this year for me was uh, packing up everything. We've been living here for nearly 10 years and we had decided to make the US, Northern California specifically, our home base for the next little while. Everybody says, oh, is this forever or, or for how long? And of course the answer is, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but uh, that was some pretty intense sorting, as you can imagine, and then packing and shipping off everything. So we actually had airline tickets booked, everything had gone off, and uh, and then COVID really hit, and it became apparent that it was uh, definitely prudent and far more sensible to stay based here. Um, so I was pretty, you know, tuckered out by all of that. And so what the um, the initial part of the pandemic allowed for me was to um, really take some deep rest. Mm. And uh, as part of my deep rest, I was able to spend a lot more time in my various practices, of which there are many. Um, and then gradually I've come out of that um, with uh, a little more time for study and other um, more specific activities like doing my first error ever Ayurvedic cleanse with the brilliant and talented Shara Karabas. Here we go. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it started in I, I started in the twenty first of of um, July. It's not a date I'll forget easily. Mm. And uh, for people who haven't done an Ayurvedic cleanse, um, in my case it was pretty brutal because I also cold turkeyed off coffee and sugar. Um, I wasn't a big coffee consumer, but I was, I would admit, a fairly big sugar consumer, um, thanks to baked goods in particular. Uh, and so the, the cleanse, which was ended up being about nine days, was then the beginning of a, a massive shift uh, in, in what I eat and also in actually committing to cooking as well, which mm -hmm. is something I've never been keen for. Uh, and then it's just grown from there. And it's, uh, and I, I mean, it is quite, remarkable the the change in me as a result of this process which is not just the cleanse it's also you know what i've continued to do since yeah uh ha is is very similar to um after the point in time where i've been practicing yoga for about 10 years and then i was introduced to a very specific breathing practice that i did in a very um, dedicated manner every day for 90 days and and i really felt like it changed my life and I really feel like this, um, 
the cleanse process and then into now this very different way of working with um, not just nutrition, but many aspects. I can speak to some of my favorite parts of <laughs> What were they? I'm interested. <laughs> I'm a potential. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what did you learn anything? It changed my life. Have I learned anything? Yeah. Like, what did you learn through the cleanse? I mean, oh, I guess you don't have to divulge a lot of personal information, yeah. but yeah. Well, actually, the cleanse itself, I didn't learn so much. That was just a matter of slogging through it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know my personality is such that once I commit to something like that, I will stick through it no matter what. Um, so, you know, in my long term past, like over the, um, you know, the last 40, 50 years, if I've felt really, really spent, I've, I've always found that going into a retreat of some sort was um, very helpful for me to kind of recalibrate uh, everything. And, and this was um, similar to that, except for it was in my own home. Uh, which was possible because of my the fact that I'm an empty nester we're empty nesters now and because my fabulous husband said yes completely you go for it and you don't have to worry about my food at all mm. so that was very helpful um, given how very specific the the food you eat in the cleanse is mm. and um, so I I'm not sure that I I mean, in the cleanse process, Shara offers um, a daily uh, reflection process, and I committed to that as well. And there were some little um, little gems and little pearls, but I tend to be somewhat self-reflective anyway, and practice Vajaya and so forth. So there wasn't, there weren't any huge aha moments for that. Um, the the real aha has come from the you know this it, it's a we hear, I was brought up hearing all the time, you know, you are what you eat and and, uh, and so forth. And I mean, there's other practices, again, that I could refer to, but, you know, really genuinely committing to um, loving myself enough to eat what really serves my body. And, you know, and I've also, uh, for a long time, because of my yoga practices, been, you know, had a, a reasonable level of interoception and so forth, but to, to really sort of take it sort of up to another level or two levels you know and 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 really observe the effect of you know from even one meal to the next let alone one day to the next and and then just saying no if it doesn't feel good even if it's you know perhaps not socially the perfect thing to do but if it's yeah um yeah so I'm not sure if I really answered your question. You did. Right. No, yeah. you did. Especially the interoceptive part, because I think that's what you learn is that how to really deeply feel into yourself mm -hmm. to kind of cultivate. It's not instinctual eating because it's very much informed, but it, you do start to trust your gut and your, and your feeling for what's good rather than having to look up in the book if this is okay for me, if you know what I mean. Not, I don't know if there's a book, but. Yeah. Oh, there's a book. <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of books. Well, there's Shara's book. Yeah. Shara's book is fantastic. Yeah. Eat like you love yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. My my daughter was visiting for dinner on Tuesday night and she saw Shara's book and, and she said to me in a bit of a you know, a cheeky tone, she said, So have you read this cover to cover? And I said, Yeah, pretty much. I can't memorize all the all the recipes. I said <laughs> not the recipes. But uh, but I've um you know, I've really come to love the preparation of food and mm. part of that is you know the obviously is the mindset you know that you that you go into the process with and 
you know and so depending how i'm feeling i do different things in my food prep mm. also see that's beautiful i yeah. love that yeah. you have just you have just taken this stuff on and i'm just every time i hear you talk about this because i do remember having these conversations with you about how food and cooking just was not your thing and so now just hearing the way that you have taken all of this on and just committed to it but committed to the to the, I suppose, to to the intention of it, which is to have, you know, to to feel into it and to have that feeling, you know, mm -hmm. drive it, and then to kind of be fueled off of that, the results of having that feeling drive what you're. It's just this cycle, and I've just, I'm just, yeah, I'm just uh, amazed, and I'm, I get proud is the word that keeps coming. <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm so proud. proud. I am. I'm just so proud of the way that you've taken all this on and just made it and just integrated it so beautifully into your life and to who you are. I really am. You're like the poster child for this. No, if a, if a cleanse can make you love pre preparing food, that yeah. is a really powerful thing. Because normally it would just make you hate thinking about food. Yeah. So yeah. if that's created a love for yourself and a love for the process of making food, I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well done, both of you. <laughs> I, do, you know, I do have to say that Lucy's history of commitment to practice and her yeah. dedication to her own practice was the foundation for all of this. Yeah. And so I do just want to make sure that people are aware that, um, yeah, it's her energy and her dedication to herself and her study. And I want to dive into all of that too. Yeah. Her, exactly. you know, her study and her history is what she has brought to this process and is, is really responsible for the amazing results that she's received. So what have you brought to the process? Tell us about ah, that. Yes. How did you develop that? Yeah. How did I, you know what, I'd love to answer that, but I want to just tell you one little thing okay. about yeah. uh, in this last few months journey, uh, because what Shara just said something about how it's, you know, my success has sort of generated a, a desire to keep going. I, I'm not quite yeah. sure. Something along that's that. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I heard myself a couple of weeks ago sharing with a friend that I've can't, I've sort of become addicted, and it feels like an addiction mm. to feeling great. Oh. Mm. You know. So, awesome. So, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like I don't feel amazing. What do I have to do differently? Like yeah. I can't expect feeling amazing. And um, that is, that's really a new experience for me. And, and I will say as a result of my, you know, physical, uh, energetic, mental energy, and I have so much more clarity and so much is, you know, flowing out of me now in terms of oh. creation, you know, which I'd, you know, it all been dampened down for so long for many, many reasons. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So do you question Maria? Um, what, which is? Yeah. Well, if you have a history of practice and of commitment, where does that start? Yeah. Um, if you mean specifically yoga, um, I came to yoga in the late nineties uh, mm -hmm. through a friend, actually when I met and was dating my husband, I met his late wife's best friend who was generous enough to really welcome me with open arms and uh, then when I um, got engaged and I moved in with him, I moved into the same town as her. So I'd been living in New York City for three and a half years, and then I moved out to um, Southern Connecticut in a in a town, um, a sort of a bedroom community for New York City. Mm -hmm. It was still very cosmopolitan, but it was a relatively small town, and um, and I didn't know anybody there at all. And 
she uh, invited me to come to her yoga class and that's really what started the my journey with yoga I, I had attended one class when I my undergraduate studies are in in um, physical education, and I had uh, gone to a, a yoga class once when I was working in the gym, and it had been one of those people dressed all in white. It was a guy dressed all in white who literally put his foot behind his head and walked around and pushed people down into like if you think of you know about a kanasana, push people down so that they would go deeper into you know. <laughs> And yeah. at the time, I was so horrified by that. I thought, no way, yoga is absolutely, absolutely not my thing, and mm -hmm. it must be, and it's weird, you know. Um, <laughs> so, so this is yeah. So this is the late nineties. I came to it with a with a lovely teacher, and uh, and started with you know once a week classes, and then twice a week classes, and then I started working less days, and so I had a, a, a day a week where the teacher would come. It, 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 she actually started coming at 6.30 in the morning, so my husband could do the class with me. Oh. And that lasted for about two weeks because <laughs> then he didn't show up anymore. But then um, I moved it to a slightly more reasonable hour for other people and she and I, I started having friends come over and so forth. And so then it was three times a week for a number of years and then she said, you know, I've taught you everything I can and um, you should come to my teacher. So uh, I, it's probably worth saying that this, this woman, Herma, Herma Hale, God bless her, she is a, literally a, an angel incarnate, mm. is an Iyengar teacher, and I would say a soft-edged Iyengar teacher. And um, Iyengar, given that I had come out, I was still in the corporate world at that stage, and I'd been very much a driven workaholic perfectionist, um, that particular style of yoga worked for me at that time, mm -mm. and unfortunately, she had the soft edge, so it wasn't the you know the full absolute intensity of it all. Uh, but then I went to her teacher as well, and her teacher was actually a level two Iyengar teacher of teachers, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, you know, really was learning with somebody close to the source. She'd studied with Mr. Iyengar. Uh, and also she was a body worker and I had quite a lot of um, health conditions that needed attention and I started having body work with her once a week and then I would go to her class once a week and it was uh, beautiful because she knew my body so well in the yoga class she could help with modifications that were appropriate for my body um, and then we would um, we would in these bodywork sessions you know normally when you get on a table for whatever bodywork typically you know, you're guided into a few deep breaths and to be really present with, you know, and the, and the therapist might ask you a couple of questions, but it's predominantly a quiet, you know, you're quiet. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the case with us. I would get on the bed and I'd say, so I was reading about blah, 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 and some <laughs> yoga philosophy thing. And so I basically had one-on-one -on -one mentoring from this amazing individual for, I don't know, four or five years or something wow. like that going because she was, she was very inspirational and knowledgeable, mm. you know. Um, and so I did that through the noughties or whatever you call the 2000s. Um, and then uh, at the same time, concurrent with this, I was uh, dealing with quite a lot of um, demands on the family front with three children. Uh, my older two had special needs and, and so I had stopped working full time from the early 2000s, around 2002. And uh, I had a whole bunch of quite challenging health conditions that really were affecting my quality of life. Um, for example, I had chronic migraines, so I was at the time getting 
I don't know, 20, 25 migraines a month. Mm. Um, I had pain throughout my body, which was turned out to be later on, it turned out to be fibromyalgia, but um, initially Western medical professionals didn't want to call, you know, said they couldn't name it, so therefore it was in all of my head, which it was in my head, but mm. <laughs> that's another story. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> the whole body mind. That's a pain science mm. lesson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, and then sort of other more serious conditions. So I was really, uh, and certainly depression as well. Mm. I was very, you know, challenged on that front. My mental health was at a pretty low ebb for a while there. Mm. And, uh, and so uh, I was working with predominantly alternate um, medical health practitioners. Um, I was fairly cynical of the Western medical model and, and any, of the, any of the people I'd met with. Um, I didn't feel they listened and they didn't, I didn't feel they cared and all that sort of thing. So I, um, I was working with, you know, all sorts of alternative practices and then, or complementary. And then finally in about 2007, I think it was, my husband said to me, look, I really respect all your beliefs and so forth. However, you're not getting any better. Mm. So, you know, can, can we rethink this? So I found a GP who actually really did care and really did listen. Like if I remember correctly, I think my first appointment with him was two hours long. Oh, wow. um, and that was actually after he asked me to write a medical history. So I'd written, you know, a multiple page document with my history and, you know, all the, all the treatments I'd had and, and interventions and so forth. So, um, and then his, his bent was very much, it's about the diagnosis. So mm -hmm. he, um, he sent me off to all sorts of specialists and I had all sorts of diagnoses as it turned out. Hmm. Um, I had uh, rheumatoid arthritis. I did have fibromyalgia, you know, I had was in major flare of um, fibromyalgia and chronic migraines, as I mentioned. And uh, it turned out I had a calcium absorption problem, which was affecting my vitamin D levels, which can cause all sorts of problems. And, uh, and then I had sleep apnea as well. Hmm. So, um, so we got sort of got our act together on the appropriate interventions for each of those. So some of them were uh, pharmaceutical, like for the mm. rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. Uh, some of them were the CPAP machine, which I've used diligently every day since and mm -hmm. uh, has, makes a world of difference. Uh, and so it goes on. And I got to the point in about 2000 and the beginning of 2009, where I was no longer sick, but I also wasn't well either I just wasn't really sick and then a family friend had been uh, very inspired by a program she'd done after she'd had some traumatic brain injury and this program had helped her in her recovery process and uh, so I eventually signed up up for it and it was a, a weekend course Friday night Saturday Sunday and what we were taught was what I now know as sort of combination of pranayama and breathing practices and um, and they said on that course, if you do it every day for 90 days, it will change your life. And, um, you know, it was the right time, right place. I was ready for it. And so this is an example, again, of me being committed to something. And I did mm. do it every day. And, um, and it did change my life. I mean, by after the 90 days I had, again, it's a little bit like I felt now after this yeah. Ayurvedic process that I've... Um, I wouldn't say I've gone through it because I'm still in it. I've been mm. in it for the rest of my life. But yeah, this, I mean, certainly in contrast, um, 
you know, again, just bright and energetic and vital and enthusiastic for, you know, life. And so, um, so then I decided that I'd like to know more about yoga because I will say one thing about my experience in with Iyengar yoga, the style, breath was almost never referred to. Hmm. which uh, given now is just you know what I know now and what I practice and what I teach is just incredible to me but anyway mm. um but wait before you go on can I dive in to something for a yeah, second because yeah, you please. just there's there's so much goodness here I'm like oh but there's one distinction you've made and I want I for my own benefit and perhaps even for the benefit of the folks that are listening you talk about you talked about the fact that you weren't sick but you weren't well and I think that's a really interesting place to be. And I wonder, can you talk a little bit more about what that is? Is it, or even what that may have felt like for you? How did you, how did you know? How did you know you weren't entirely well? Uh, I think I was still, um, you know, relatively low energy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't exhausted. I didn't wake up every morning wishing I could go to bed again, yeah. like in half an hour, which mm -hmm. you know, I've been for many years. Um, but I, I wouldn't say I had a ton of energy. Uh, I had worked very closely with neurologists on my migraines and they were uh, doing better, although I think a lot of that was to do with my yoga practices um, and, and uh, meditation in particular. Yeah, um, yeah I, you know, the pain was, you know, I was sleeping, you know, because when you have sleep apnea, you in my case, I was having... I think it was 90 apnea events an hour or something like that. Wow. So that means literally 90 times an hour, I was stopping breathing. And when you stop breathing, you know, the, it just imagine what it does to your nervous system. Yeah. So, so you never truly rest. And, and I think based on the fact that my father was diagnosed with sleep, uh, with, um, sleep apnea late in his life, and my sister has since been diagnosed with sleep apnea, I suspect it was genetic and, mm -hmm. and given my um, reputation from be, for being able to fall asleep anywhere, anytime, in any position, <laughs> seriously, I'm talking through university lectures, I'm talking yeah. uh, in sales meetings when I was in the corporate world, I'm talking wow. in a new job. The first day of a new job, I fell asleep in a sales meeting. Oh, oh wow. Underwater. So I used oh. to be a diving instructor, scuba yeah. diving instructor, I fell asleep on a dive once. Oh, like so i wow, literally that's dangerous isn't it yeah, yeah exactly oh, oh, um so yeah being less tired in that sense but mm -hmm. just still not having energy and definitely not having um you know clearness in the head mm -hmm. and, a, yeah. and also a sense of um i don't know excitement for living or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah thanks say, for that yeah i would say that's the 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 difference yeah mm. it sounds similar to what the positive psychology people say about uh, mental health that that just getting rid of depression is not living fully you know it's yeah. you've got to you've got to fill up and resource and and have that level of energy and enthusiasm and be living mm. as opposed to just be baselining kind of okay you know. yeah 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 there's actually a um a quote on it i'm sorry i can't remember quite remember who did I think it's a man who wrote the um the day of the noonday sun but something mm. of the anyway it's a great it's an important text in about depression um the I think he says the opposite of depression isn't happiness the opposite of depression is vitality mm. yes yeah. Hmm. yeah I love that word vitality mm. Mm. I do yeah. too 
you know, when I set intentions or aspirations or affirmations or whatever, I use vital a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so you, so you were talking about, uh, you had been, you had been engaged in this anger practice and then you, and then you took on this 90 day breathing thing and that just turned everything around. And so from there, yeah. So then I said, so this was um, the beginning of 2010 at this point, and we uh-huh. had decided we would come to live in the U- in Australia mm-hmm. from the beginning of 2011. So I had sort of one year uh, to go, and I thought, I think I'll do a teacher training program. And I didn't really do it with the strong intention of becoming a teacher, but mm-hmm. I thought if I do end up teaching, at least I'll show up in Australia with my certification. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be able to teach if that's what I decide to do. Mm. And so I did research at the time of what was available, local to me, etc. And what was uh, best for me at that time, because I still had kids at home, was a two 10-day intensive, mm. uh, sorry, two 12-day intensive, which was a total of uh, the 200 hours, which is mm-hmm. most common in the US. And I did it at a place called the Kripalu Center. Mm-hmm. And um, the Kripalu Center has been quite through, you know, many years um, and changes. How it is now is not necessarily how it was when I did the training there. But uh, I went there thinking I'll do it here because it's, you know, the timing's convenient, the geography, etc. But I did think I'd show up in Australia if I did teach, sort of saying, you know, I'm a yoga teacher informed by Iyengar. Mm. I would never say I was an Iyengar teacher and I didn't want to do the Iyengar teacher training, but... I really thought that would inform, you know, be the dominant influence in my teaching. Mm. And that, that when I came to Kripalu, I completely fell in love with the approach, mm. um, which was heart-centered, you know, very much about um, connecting with your prana, mm-hmm. again, from sort of day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. Um, and sort of, I, I guess loosely, it was a, you know, a vinyasa style. and they had different levels, so they could be gentle and intermediate and, and uh, you know, advanced or whatever they called it and so forth. But, um, yeah, I just really fell in, in love with the, the, not only the style of teaching, but then in, the, in between the two 12-day periods, we had three months mm-hmm. and we had to practice teaching or we had to record ourselves teaching one class. And so me being me, I put out an email to all my friends and I said look I need to practice teaching yoga because you know it's part of my training I have three time slots a week I could teach this class can you let me know what will suit you best and then I'll teach at that time and of my like 15 friends five picked each of the time slots <laughs> but I said okay so I started teaching three classes a week yeah. and it was just incredible I just love love loved it and it mm. was it just flowed through me I mean mm. I mean, it sort of it wasn't that surprising. I'd been teaching since my teens, first as a diving instructor and then, you know, in sales and, and uh, sales management training people and then in the work I did as a, um, uh, a consultant and trainer in, in person-to-person communication skills. So, you know, I guess uh, I, I was amazed at how much I loved it, but in hindsight, it's kind of not surprising. I love sharing what I love. Mm. And um, and that's really what it felt to me at the did time. You, yeah. Did you love it in the same way as you did as you had all of the other type of teaching work that you did, or was there something different about this sharing of yoga that was that was yeah? Was there anything different about it? 
Uh, I would say that I loved it um, in a uh, at every level. So mm -hmm. the Pachamaya model, I really loved it at every level. Yeah. I, I think, you know, when I was a diving instructor, which I did for a number of years, support myself through university, you know, I loved the physicality of it. I loved the, you know, the there was a, a reasonable amount of technical informa information people I had to know and people had to know to become qualified. I So I guess at a mental level, I enjoyed that, but it was, um, yeah, that was probably it. And then when I worked with the Rogan International, who's the consulting firm I worked with, um, they, I, I really enjoyed it there emotionally as well, because I could see people change with the skills that I was helping them with, with their communication skills. Um, but, you know, this just took it to a whole nother level as well, because, you know, I love sharing what I loved, um, you know, physically, energetically, mentally, and spiritually, but I also really enjoyed, you know, the sort of higher, you know, like the witnessing of it all and witnessing them and witnessing me witnessing them and witnessing me. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll make sense. So I would say it was at that stage that I started to, to um, you know, be more, uh, you know, present for yoga and the effect of yoga at, in every way. I'm not, I feel like I'm not saying this very much. No, that, I'm no, kidding. I think, I think that's what, I think of it, the word I think that captures what I, what I feel like teaching, and I've done various different teaching, is that the reciprocity of it, there's this sort of energetic circularity that is more than any other thing that I've experienced, because you have to vibe off each other. Hmm. So you're, it's almost like you're using your organism to read their organisms, do that witnessing you, witnessing them. Yes. And that's, that's different to anything I've ever experienced. I don't know whether that characterizes what you were talking about. Yeah, but. I think that that is, that's a nice mm. way to put it. Yeah, very much. Yeah, very it's much. It's so, so holistic. Yeah. yeah. And also um, just being able to see how much it helps different people in different ways. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, really being curious about that. And mm. um, yeah, I mean, it's such a gift to teach mm. yoga. I just, I love it. And I'm actually not teaching classes regularly at the moment because mm. I was meant to be living in another country. Mm. And, uh, and I taught, I was lucky enough to teach a couple recently in the teacher training program that I teach communication skills in. Mm. And so I came in and did a, um, I wouldn't say guest appearance, but anyway, I taught a couple of classes and I just loved it. I just yeah. loved it. It was, you know, realize how much I miss it. But I, I also had this experience when I work one-on-one -on -one with people, which I do have been doing consistently and uh, yeah, such a gift. So when you got to Australia, did you start teaching right away? Pretty much. I, I, um, I rented a house next to a, a woman who was a holistic dentist and a yoga teacher mm -hmm. um, and studying at the time yoga therapy and she said why don't you come and meet my teacher mm -hmm. and that teacher was a man by the name of Michael Domanacor who is mm -hmm. the founder and director of the Yoga Institute in Sydney and um, he and I just hit it off immediately um, as a you know like in terms of a, a heart connection and a mind connection and so forth mm -hmm. and uh, but I found, so the Yoga Institute teaches in the 
sort of lineage, if you like, of Krishnamacharya Desikachar. Mm-hmm. And it's a very breath, um, very breath focused practice. And compared to what I've been used to and practicing, it was a very slow practice. And certainly with, you know, continual, continuous invitations to turn inward and, and, you know, connect with what is happening in that moment and then listen to your body and move accordingly and so forth. And, um, you know, by comparison, for example, Kripalu Yoga always had music. So one of the big things when planning classes for Kripalu style yoga was like, what's my playlist? Oh. You know, and I had to put together the right music for the, you know, the particular flow of the class. Yeah. And uh, whereas there's no music at all at uh, in these classes at the Yoga Institute, so um, so I I met him. I started doing classes there, and then I studied with him in what he was offering at the time, which was an advanced diploma um, to round up my 500 hours or to round up my 350 hours. I'm sorry, so I could be a level one um, yoga yoga Australia member. And, uh, and then I started to teach in a few, I started privately, individuals privately, and then in a, a friend's Pilates studio, and I taught yoga there twice a week. And then in time, I started teaching at the Yoga Institute as well. So, so pretty quickly, certainly by, by the end of the year, in the second half of the year, I was teaching yoga, so. Hmm. And were you still working in the communications um, in, that, in the Rogan thing? Rogan, Rogan, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. No, not a problem. Um, no, no, I had um, I had come out of that work in around 2002, mm-hmm. and uh, because I really uh, felt the need or felt my children needed full time parenting, or mm-hmm. a full time parent at home, mm-hmm. and uh, I had been doing a lot of pro bono work in the in the you know in the area of of person to person face to face communication but I wasn't working in the corporate world anymore. In fact, I really have developed quite an aversion to the corporate world and mm. I would rather not ever work there again. Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, I loved it. I mean, yeah. I was, just to be really clear, you know, the, the whole time I was with Rojan, all the work that I did there in, in working with, you know, I was in my bliss. I was absolutely, you know, walked the talk and loved what I did. So. You know, I'm very grateful for that period in my life, but it was, you know, it was full on. I worked seven days a week. I traveled all the time, especially when I went to New York. I ended up running the North American operation and we grew the business and opened offices around the US. And um, and I traveled, you know, literally all over the world, um, you know, in teaching and training. And, um, you know, I and that whole period and the, my work experience before that, I don't think I had any awareness of anything below the neck. Mm. You know, I just did not listen to my body at all. You know, I had a lot of migraines for, you know, on and off through that, I'd just take drugs. You know, anything that got in my way, I'd just take painkillers. And and I and I think in, in large part, a lot of the health issues that I experienced in the 2000s, and even to some extent um, today, are to do with that, you know, long period of, if you like, abuse of my body, you know, mm. that I just, you know, never listened. And uh, it's certainly one of my, um, you know, platforms I talk about from uh, a lot when I'm teaching yoga to young people too, so that they don't do what I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, paying the price. So it's interesting. Like I, I have a sense of that experience of you know moving from the corporate world out, and I want and and you've commented about how you've sort of got this aversion to it, and I'd love to kind of hear a little, just a little bit more about where that. You know where that comes from is it 
is there some direct line? You know, you've talked about this, that your direct, this, this belief that those things that you were doing contributed to your health issues, or is there something else? Is it something about, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm like, oh, I really want to understand that because, because I think that's something that lots of people have had an experience of, and it's interesting just to get a deeper, um, or maybe even just a different perspective, especially from somebody who's working at such high levels in the corporate world. Mm. Well, that's a, that's a sort of a multifaceted question. Yeah. And uh, I would say it's, it's not because I feel it, it caused my illnesses. I would say the choices I made while I was in it caused my illnesses. Yeah. Um, and, you know, looping right back to the very beginning, you know, Maria's question is what was it in my practices that allowed me to be, say, dedicated to the Ayurvedic uh, process is, you know, I am a, a sort of a, a I, I call myself a sort of a um, workaholic or a driver in recovery. Mm -hmm. you know, so I'm less driven than I used to be. But, you know, I think it, it was in my nature, you know, yeah. to be like that. And that's nobody's fault. Yeah. You know, I could have, although I might not have been as quote unquote successful if I hadn't have been like that. Yeah. Um, but, but so that's one part of the answer. So I don't blame the, the, that environment specifically. It was me within that environment. Honestly speaking, since I've been out of the environment, that Lucy has arisen at times and, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> that's a challenge. Um, but I also do think it's about who you choose to spend time with, mm. you know, and um, as a gross generalization, the people that I interact with in the yoga world, both so, you know, peers like you guys and teachers um, and um and students you know are just uh, looking for different things in their lives and different you know they've got different priorities and so forth so um you know that's not to say that the corporate the individuals in the corporate world that i was interacting with in this sort of cutthroat manner in the 90s wouldn't be where i am now too i mean you know i think everybody changes yeah and uh and you know i'm just eternally grateful that i pretty much uh, I could say I had a successful career before I got married and had children. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how I would have been if, you know, I I got married in my mid twenties or early thirties or something, and then had kids and then tried to go. You know, whether I would have felt, you know, satisfied because I definitely felt complete. Mm -hmm. You know, when I left, I I'm like, great, I've done, I've done a lot, I've done a good job, I'm satisfied. I'm grateful. Now it's time for the next thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that's, does that sort of answer? Absolutely. It does. And I love that you've highlighted that because you know, you know me, I'm always talking about who we are being a relationship and that we have this true nature. We have this nature about us. And so that environment that we're in calls for aspects of our nature to be expressed. Yes. And and it's it's so lovely that you've explained it, your experience in that way, because I think it perfectly illustrates that. Um, and it also means that all the other folks that you were working with in that environment, they may have been having a different experience or some, you know, some slightly different um, version of the same experience. But yet, you know, that's them. That's their life. The impacts are, are theirs, etc. So it's sort of not to kind of shit on the corporate experience, no, but it's, no. to say, yeah. it's to say, look, this is what being in that environment, you know, brought out of me, my, yeah. you know, my, my drivenness, my, you know, perhaps even my, um, 
my tendency to throw myself under the bus sometimes or not to, as you're saying, not to sort of feel anything from, from, or have any experience from the neck down to kind of live in your head. And yeah, I, and I do also maybe hear, and, and you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, this, this almost this little bit of gratitude for that experience or for having had that experience and maybe even what it's contributed to your, to your life and to who you are. Yes. <laughs> no. Although, can we can we shit on the corporate experience just for a second? Because because you know, I I have come from New York. All three of us have lived in New York, yeah. and, and uh, I think our society values uh, reinforces rewards that drivenness. Yeah. And um, there's less. What it almost feels like in order to access what you've spoken about, Lucy, like to access yoga, breathing, being in your body, in, interoceptive sensing of what you need and what your relationship is, everyone has to blow out. It, it, it's sort of like where, how do people, except if they have you as a teacher and you're trying to save them, but how do we, do we all have to go through that? Or is there a way to, especially with the world as it is right now, you know, instead of everybody just having to blow out the cannon and kind of recover, Mm -hmm. I, I would love to see because there's so much mental illness in young people at the moment. I think there's mm -hmm. very little, very few resources for them, and it's hard to learn under duress later. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, well, I think that thankfully things had shifted a lot since the 1990s, mm. and um, so there is a more awareness of the importance of at least contemplative practices if it's not just yoga so it might be you know um, meditation or tai chi or you know there's more more awareness of it um, and it is a problem that it's not rewarded because that's where people will go to I mean this is a deep philosophical conversation because mm. we can go to what's problem with society which is a lot um, so I, I do think a, a great thing that's shifted is uh, a lot more of this, these kinds of teachings coming in at the school level. Yeah. 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 I mean, even when we first came to Australia in 2010, I, uh, sorry, 11, beginning of 2011, I approached my daughter's uh, uh, grade five, year five uh, teacher and said, have you thought about introducing some yoga or at least, you know, some mindfulness or, or whatever? And Everybody, I, she and then the head of the, the um, primary school said, yes, it's a nice idea, it's a nice idea, but nobody wanted to act on it, and same in year six. But year seven, they, the year coordinator actually approached me and said, oh, we'd like to introduce some mindfulness. Would you be interested in coming and doing it? Mm. And, uh, and there's actually quite a whole story about that. But then the school did offer it throughout mm -hmm. You know throughout my daughter's secondary education so and I and I think it's more present in schools but where but one thing that that I think is important to just um, is to say is that I hear often that there's no point in oh, sorry I hear often disparaging comments about teacher training schools mm. that they're just um, yoga you know, more experienced yoga teachers trying to make money by t training teachers, and that there are there aren't there are too many teachers. Mm. 
And I think that there is just not enough yoga being shared around the world in all these different environments. Hmm. And the greater variety of teachers we have, the greater variety of environments in which they want to teach. Hmm. Um, and so I, I think it's, you know, and, and we all know that teacher training, there are lots of reasons why you might do it anyway. It might not just be to teach. But I think the more great yoga teachers there are out there who can take yoga into all of these different environments, that there is some possibility of there being some influence. And then it all comes down to the relationship between the teacher and the, the particular students. Mm -hmm. And then that's, you know, of course, my bent is the communication skills that are required to do that, to really connect and to establish what you were talking about earlier, Maria, of this sort of um, sort of sharing of energy and so forth. You know that happens when there's real connection, and mm. and uh, so yeah. And, but the most, you know, I'm, I'm I'm thinking back in my mind with some amusement of the investment bankers doing yoga, and there'd be absolutely no hope of that. So no matter <laughs> how great the yoga teacher was, <laughs> there is no way that they would, you know forego their multi-million dollar paycheck to you know put in yoga an hour once a week or something like that so. well is it the paycheck or is it the invitation to sense within because if you're if you're numb from the neck down and then someone thaws you a little bit it could get deeply uncomfortable for yeah. a while so yeah. it's hard to do it a little bit isn't it it's it's uh you know as you said you pulled right out and and immersed so mm -hmm. mm. I needed I needed to for a while because you know when I first um, uh, sort of retired, let's just say, I had a lot of people reaching out from you know from Rogan saying, "Can you just come and do this? Can you just help me with this? Can you you know just go off and do this work?" No, no, I've stopped working. Like in my case, I needed to do a, a sort of a, a big line in the sand. Um, but then I started, you know, teaching the same stuff in a pro bono environment with, you know, my daughter's um, preschool board and things like that, and, um, you know, with, with, with individuals who wouldn't normally be able to access that kind of level of training and so forth. So, yeah. you know, I still love the work. I just didn't want to be in that environment. So, um, but yeah, it's very good. I don't know. I, I'm struggling to imagine some of these individuals that I worked with in a very combative way mm. to imagine them ever being open to contemplative practices. And, and uh, you know, I think of some of the conversations I had with my husband, who was, in, you know, was a management consultant, is a management consultant, and, you know, with, with uh, very high profile tier one firms you know, having going to the dinners as a spouse and all that sort of stuff and having conversations about what I did. And, you know, with most people, as soon as, well, for a start, they never really asked what I did because, you know, I wasn't very important um, anymore. I didn't have a title and all that sort of stuff. But if I did, um, there were very few people I could engage with in a meaningful conversation about, you know, their lives and what was important to them and so forth. Whereas, you know, you meet any yogi off the, you know, out of a class and you sort of immediately start having authentic conversations. And it's, yep. yeah, so I think it's a, it's a way of being for them at that time in their lives. And I hope for them all they've found some joy and ease and, you know, happiness yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you're yoga uh, your practice of yoga at the time when you start when you made that shift from you know living in, in or not living but being in the corporate world do you feel that your your yoga provided some kind of a, a cushion like an existential cushion 
for you to make that leap? Because I know for me, at least when I was making that, that shift from corporate world to what kind of turned out to be nothing, like what felt, I should say, what felt like at the time, nothing. That isn't, that is, and that was an existential crisis. Who am I if I'm not this title? What do I do? And, and I, and I've been asking this question kind of around the yoga world um, in part because I feel like we are coming up against, as a culture, as a society, we're coming up against a moment when this sort of experience is going to be happening wholesale. There's, you know, there's, there's technologies that are replacing roles, and there's even talk about how, you know, at some point, perhaps even soon in the future, technology is going to replace lawyers and doctors and all of these roles that we're sort of considering to be at the top tier, and yet how are these people going to be making this shift from, you know, yesterday I was a top tier physician and today I'm a, I'm back to being John Smith or whatever it might be. And I wonder like, what was, do you believe the yoga helped for you and what you knew or what you'd learned in yoga? Um, at that point, I wouldn't say so. Yeah. No. Did you I have mean, that moment? I was, I was, uh, um, you know, relatively new to yoga. I'd only been practicing about three or four years yeah. and very much an asana based practice mm -hmm. and very little uh, philosophical understanding, um, or understanding of the philosophy of yoga and so forth. Um, so I did go through an existential crisis. It was some of the most difficult, you know, months, year or two of my life. You know, yeah. I'd been CEO of this company. I was the, you know, the the big guy, uh, big girl, whatever. Um, and yeah, it was like, who am I? And it was a big, a, but I don't think, I wish I knew then what I know now. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, it, but I didn't, I didn't. And I, I will say though, that um, in my uh, mentoring and coaching work with individuals, which, you know, falls into different sort of um, buckets, um, but I often have yoga students come to me or yoga teachers in training come to me who are seeking a yoga mentor, but they're actually seeking guidance through a change in their life, a, you know, a, a seed change, mm. like the sort that you're talking about. And then I feel very grateful that I'm able to share a lot of the wisdom teachings of yoga mm. uh, to help them. But I, I wish I had it back then, but I didn't personally, yeah. Yeah. And I, I know just from knowing you that mentorship has kind of played a big role in your in your life and in your in your yoga experience. And so can you talk a little bit more about the, the you know what your experience of mentorship has been and how that's contributed to to kind of who you are? Yeah. Um, so I've been very fortunate to have different yoga mentors through my journey. So, you know, I've been practicing now twenty and a bit years. And I would say my um, Mary, so my, my teacher, Herma's teacher, was a mentor to me on while I was having body work, definitely. Yeah. Um, when I came to Australia, Michael Domenical was a mentor to me, um, definitely. He was, uh, he was who first really, um, you know, helped me deepen into the teachers, teaching of the sutras. Mm. Uh, and and also really appreciate that kind of yoga is the science of the mind and it's all about the the mind right now what i've learned about ayurveda and the beautiful sisterness and all that but um and he we would have 
um, mentoring sessions that went off in lots of different tangents. So there were philosophical discussions, but there was also psychological discussions as well. So he's a he's a um, uh, a psychologist. A um, I'm trying to think of the exact right word, but he counselling psychologist. Mm -hmm. And so he has he has clients who are in that ilk as well as his mentee clients and so forth. I mean, he's gone on and done a lot of other things since then, but. So he was a he was a very significant um, mentor for me for a, for a number of years, and he still is. I mean, we've become really you know close friends now, and we support each other. In, in it kind of goes both ways, um, but uh, he was very significant and uh, for that influence. And then in more recent times, um, I've had the great good fortune of Richard Miller from iRest mm. Yoga Nidra. Uh, has become a mentor of mine and um, I, I have a relationship with him when I reach out to him when I feel I have a question mm -hmm. so I don't have a regular you know session with him once every you know x months or whatever it's when I need you know when I'm, I'm really deepening into an inquiry and I feel like I'm stuck and I can't mm -hmm. see the way through um, but the other mentor that I had who is without doubt my most significant relationship is a, a woman by the name of Vidya, uh, sorry, Vidya Carolyn Delalumo, who was one of the two senior Kripalu teachers who, um, I actually have to go back a little story. So mm. when I did my training at Kripalu, I, as I said, I just fell in love with the lineage teachings, um, yoga, but so much more than that. And um, so I had, after I completed, I had about five months left in the US before I was coming to Australia. And I managed to get back to Kripalu a couple of times for what I called my Kripalu fixes. <laughs> the actual place is really incredible too. I mean, it's, it's a very spiritual, physical, you know, location, like the country, the land it's on is. And um, when I was there in the, my last visit, I approached the, the um, man, Debashi Stephen Hartman, who was the head of the yoga school at that stage. And he had also been the head of the, the program that I, he'd been the lead teacher on the program that I did. And I approached him and I said, you know, I'm moving to Australia. I love Kripalu um, style or lineage and so forth. Would you be my mentor? And, uh, and he said, uh, I'd like to, but I can't commit to that. They were going through, starting to go through leadership changes there. He was also running many of these teacher training programs and so forth. And then he said, um, he said, you know, though, there's a program that, that I and a colleague of mine, Vidya, will be starting next year called the Acharya Intensive. And I think you should apply for it. And so he sent me information about it. And basically, it was a one year program um, with three residential components. And it was to, to really be passed on the lineage teachings from Swami Kripalu. Mm -hmm. And so Vidya had actually been in the ashram in the US in the 1970s when Swami Kripalu had come and lived in the US for four and a half years. Mm -hmm. And Devashi had been in the ashram later on and so they'd been spiritual brothers and sisters in the ashram and they, they together had taught for many years together. And um, they had decided, they felt, you know, given some of the changing direction of Kripalu, they wanted to pass on the lineage teachings to, you know, people who were truly committed to understanding them. Mm. And uh, I, as I understand it, a few hundred people applied for it and 12 people were chosen. Mm. And 
you know, to this day, it's still incredible that I was one of those, especially since I, you know, I just started yoga teaching. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I had experience in that. Um, and my incredible husband, you know, when I went home and told him about the program, he said, yeah, you should apply. You know, we're just about to move to Australia and there are three <laughs> residential weeks in America. So, you know, there's time, money, little kid, you know, who yeah. needs to be looked after. Anyway, um, and then I was chosen and he said, you were chosen, you should go. And mm. so that was an incredible program. And it was, um, so there were 12 of us from around the US, Canada and myself in Australia. And um, we had these three residential components, but in between, we did a lot of, like the equivalent of Zoom calls, mm. um, you know, every week or two. And we had um, Sadhana Buddies and we had a lot of, you know, it was a deep personal dive for uh, a year. But um, Vidya was diagnosed early on with um, multiple, with cancer in multiple locations in her body. Mm. And um, so it was a bit touch and go whether it would actually go ahead. And she said, no, I'm, I'm committed to doing this. I'll do what I can. Mm. And she continued to live. I mean, it was just amazing. She lived through the whole year. She was the most incredible teacher ever that I've ever had the pleasure of being with. Um, and, and then we sort of had a, a, a non-verbal agreement that we would all, um, a non-written agreement, sorry, that we would all keep studying until she passed. And, mm -hmm. um, and she stayed with us until um, 2015, so four and a half years. And wow. which is kind of interesting, that's how long Swami Kripalu was in the US. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel part of her, you know, what kept her alive was actually the work with us. I mean, mm -hmm. she, she was very inspired to, you know, really be a, you know, a conduit of all of his teachings. And, um, and so the, you know, first year was we got together three times, next year twice, the next year it was once a year after that. But I established a relationship with her as my mentor, and we probably talked at least once a month. And, um, and she was an incredible individual. So not only her deep yoga experience and practices, but also she was a highly educated woman in psychology. And I, I can't remember what her degrees were in. Um, she'd also studied other um, therapies like um, um, gestalt therapy and uh, you know various therapeutic practices. And she brought all of that to the table. And, um, and so the work that I did with her was so significant in my journey and then she as i said she passed in in uh, may of 2015 and this might sound weird but she and i still talk all the time mm. um and she you know she, she has a, i have a way of knowing that she's talking to me and um and she's very present in my life so so i think of her as my spiritual mentor now but mm. um yeah so so that's, uh, I've been just really blessed with each of these individuals. And I don't know who my next mentor might be. I mean, I'm open to it. I, that's not to say I've ended any of those relationships, but I, you know, but they're the ones I think of as being mentors. Yeah. Um, and then on the flip side, I love mentoring people. You know, I, I love, you know, the mentoring relationship is kind of sharing supporting people on their path because you've been on the path before mm. to some extent i mean it, you can mentor people that you don't have exactly the same life experiences of course but but uh yeah and i feel you know that that is some of my most 
heartwarming and nourishing work that I do in satisfying. I wonder, it sounds like because you're such a dedicated practitioner, you're someone who, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it well and, and fully engaged. So you must mm. be very satisfying to mentor. Mm. And I wonder when that's flipped and you're mentoring, um, is that what you're looking for in, in people that you mentor? Or it, I don't know if you're having the same kind of relationship, but it can either be really satisfying or not. And I wonder... Um, I wonder if you have yeah. that same desire to find those people where they're they're really fertile fields to mm. sow seeds. Yes, I see. Yeah. Well, so I guess my mentoring would fall into specific to yoga would fall into two categories. I um, in the yoga institute in their one year program, um, every person has to do every trainee has to have a mentor, and they have to have a minimum of six sessions and and up to eight sessions and so those are randomly allocated so i so they're not choosing me and i'm not choosing them and i do say to them right at the beginning if you don't feel this is a fit feel free to say so because you know that that's completely okay um but i've over the years that i've been doing that now which is about six or seven years you know candidly speaking i've had more and less committed people and mm -hmm. so th that is more or less satisfying more mm. and less <laughs> absolutely mm. um but then i have people who come to me because of their experience of being with me in some way um most typically in my my communication skills training for um teaching classes or communication skills training for yoga therapists or more recently now my um, communication skills for uh, presentation skills and workshop design so they're people who've been exposed to me for two to three days and they've got a sense of who I am as a, so they're picking me and they, if they've worked with me in a training situation, they know that I, you know, have, uh, I'm going to sound corporate here, but I have standards and I have expectations. And um, so, but I also hold all of those relationships lightly you know because i trust that people will take what they need to from whatever mm. comes up in our sessions and um that i can't make anybody do anything you know and you know i've had a few moments where i've been a bit frustrated that people aren't making different choices but mm. yeah beautiful i think yeah. that's that's probably just part of that process isn't it yes yeah. is, is having that experience and it's so funny when you talk about having been chosen out of the you know the hundreds of people that applied it doesn't surprise me at all that you were chosen at all <laughs> just from what i know about you and 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 now seeing the way that you are um that you are just so beautifully transmitting the teachings just through who you are as a person through the work that you do and i want to talk about that a little bit more um, and through the way that you're living your life, it makes perfect sense that, you know, that, that he would have seen that in you and especially having had so much experience with so many people and chosen you to be in that program. And I'm so, so happy that you were in that program mm -hmm. because, you know, there's just, I personally have been a beneficiary of, of, you know, just my experience with you of, I'm sure some of the teachings and some of the experience that, have, that has, that you've brought with you through that. And so I really want to talk about communication <laughs> because you know what I I've been remiss in one one thing though if yeah. I may I'm sorry okay. I'm doing this I just want to go back because I remember one thing I forgot yes which please is, yeah 
if I may. Um, in, uh, I want to say 2016, I can't quite remember when our relationship started, but I, I kind of coincidentally, randomly came across the writing of a woman by the name of Heather Plett. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it was in a blog post that I happened to see through social media or something. And I read this blog post and it was about what is holding space. Mm. And then I got curious and I went to her website and, and she happened to be teaching a workshop up in Queensland later that year. So I think I read it in like April and her workshop was in November and I just booked into it immediately. I just had this sort of, you know, intuitive sense that it would be a great thing. And, um, and I've studied with her now in person um, through three different workshops here in Australia, which she's traveled. She's, she lives in Winnipeg, Canada, mm-hmm. Saskatchewan in mm-hmm. Canada. And uh, she's an absolutely incredible uh, individual, very authentic, very generous with all her information. And um, she has become, she's not quite a mentor, but I think she's about to become one, um, which I'll explain why. Um, but she's been an incredible influence in my yoga teaching and in how I am in this world hmm. um, through this teaching specifically in the art of holding space. And um, and I, if I may say, she's just published a book that came out last week oh. called The Art Ooh. of Holding Space. Okay. And it's incredible. I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy and I've read almost all of it now. It's, it's, a, it's a very... Um, uh, generous in it again again very generous in her information so there's a lot in it mm-hmm. and I'm about to start a program of study with her to become a um, a certified practitioner which I I'm not quite sure. again I just signed up for her. I went yes I want to be <laughs> so, um, her 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 center for holding space which is also newly launched recently mm-hmm. is offering a series of programs that create the foundation programs and then this um, practitioner's program certification is the one after that. So she and I, she agreed that I'd done enough of all the other uh, foundation programs to come into the practitioner's program. And um, and so I think she might be my mentor in this program. I hope, mm-hmm. I pray. Um, and uh, um, so her teaching's great. And I really recommend it to yoga teachers, yoga therapists all over the world. And it's available, the book's available now on, you know, through all the usual sources. She so. sounds like a very good person to have a conversation with. Too. I know, indeed. Yeah, and I was going to suggest that to yes, you guys please. Yeah. Maybe you can introduce us, yeah. yeah. I would love yeah. to, I will. Yes. And yeah. so, yes, and so, okay, so then tell, talk to us about holding space, because I feel like holding space as a, as a phrase, as an experience, whatever, it feels it's it's a it's a phrase that gets bandied about quite a bit in the yoga and spiritual circles and i honestly i don't feel like most people have a real sense for and mind you it's one of these esoteric things in some ways um but i don't feel like most people have a real understanding or sense about what it is what it gives what it gives you access to what it how it supports many things and so i'd love just to hear whatever you have to whatever you want to say about holding space uh i feel like saying ask heather when you yeah Uh a different opinion so i mean um but uh, yes no seriously um holding space is uh i think it's a a particular set of skills that allows you to hold space so holding space is a is a um 
uh, an offering I guess you make as a yoga teacher, as a yoga therapist, or as a teacher trainer or facilitator. I do circle work as well. Mm. Um, so it, it's an offering. But there are component parts to it that allow you to hold space that mm. are, in my belief and experience, trainable skills. Many of them cross over with conscious communication. So um, not surprisingly. Mm. Um, but holding space, uh, I think if I can encapsulate it, is about being fully present with another person without trying to fix or change or advise them in any way with what is arising in that moment for them. Oh, beautiful. That is so beautiful. <laughs> it is. And how has that experience informed who you are? It, I find myself holding space all the time. So, so it is definitely in those scenarios, teaching yoga, you know, mentoring, uh, teaching, you know, teachers in their training. I run circles, as I said, um, uh, and so forth. But it's also with family members, with friends, with people I meet in the street. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, you know, with the, the guy who makes my fantastic oat milk latte, which is what I'm drinking now that I've done an aromatic cleanse downstairs. <laughs> so it's holding space to listen to his story about the fact that he's relocating back to Thailand now and how nervous he is about it and all that sort of stuff. And just, you know, holding that, you know, just mm. it, it's, it's such an incredible um, gift to feel fully listened to and mm. to be seen. And, you know, in our busy lives, you know, it just doesn't happen enough. Mm. And um, so I, I try to be present for opportunities for all the time, you know, mm. which is only possible if I hold space for myself, can hold space for myself. And then that leads into the whole, you know, area of self-care and, and, and Maria, what you were referring to before about replenishing yourself so that you can continue mm. to be, you know, present. Um, but I, I think that holding space is sort of one uh, is another. It's got more dimensions to it than just being present. Mm. Yeah. So. Well, as I'm hearing you say that, I'm thinking about you also saying that it has connections to to conscious communication. And I think about as you, the way, the way that you described it made me think, wow, is holding space a way of communicating? The answer can be no, but I just, that's what, came, that's what came to me. I could, I'm just, I'm not, you're the sure expert, not me. I'm not sure if it's, I think it's a component of communication. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. You know, it's interesting. I do a, um, an activity or a, a little session at the, a little module in all of my workshops, depending what I'm training in. Like, so it's what makes a great yoga teacher or what makes a great yoga therapist or what makes a great presenter or a workshop leader or whatever it is. And um, holding space usually comes up in there, as mm -hmm. does you know confidence, being prepared, knowledgeable, building trust, feeling safe, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Go, you know, eye contact, voice modulation, you know. So those are component parts of effective communication. Mm -hmm. I think holding space is a is a more advanced aspect of of conscious communication. Mm. I just feel like it says something to the person that you're holding space for, whether they're aware of it or not. You know, and it, and it, because I, just listening to your beautiful description of holding space, I think about the situations in my own life where I've 
done just that for, you know, one of my kids or a friend. And I've thought there's an unspoken communication that's happening here. There's, mm -hmm. there's, there's something that I'm, um, that they're transmitting, that I'm receiving, that I'm transmitting, that they're receiving, you know, so that's, it's, I guess, communication on a really, on a, on a really simplistic level. But when I, when I, when I heard you describe that, I thought, oh, this is, that is something I can integrate that description, you know, it really mm -hmm. is. It's something I can feel and I can wear in my body and I can, um, I can ex consciously experience, you know, that can inform mm -hmm. just my choices and the way that I, um, engage in that. And I have to thank you for that because honestly, holding space for me has been something that I kind of get, but it also has been this idea that's kind of out here, you know, it's not, and I'm kind of holding my hands outside my head. It's been more of a, a concept than something that I can, that I can feel, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think what's, um, what, is a wonderful opportunity for almost all yoga professionals is to become aware of it as a as a if you like a component of conscious communication and then um, look for the opportunities where that's the best way to support your student client whatever mm -hmm. mentee, whatever it might be mm. and um, and then consciously doing it yeah and doing it Competently, fully mm -hmm. <laughs> see words, but anyway. Oh, yeah. this yeah. is a, such a beautiful segue, I think, into talking a little bit more about communication. You know, your specialty, because mm -hmm. I think we all have a sense for how important communication is. In fact, I think as I've grown older and and been involved in different types of environments with different types of people from different types of backgrounds and married, I kind of have come <laughs> to understand how communication is the hardest thing. It's one of the most most challenging things to do in life, and yet is one of the most important things to do in life or to be able to do. And I think the fact that we can all speak some kind of language and the fact that we have all managed to, you know, have experiences in our lives where we've maybe asked for something or we've communicated with some with people has given us all a sense that we can communicate in which, and I think we all can, but, but I've had this, just having had an experience with you, I've had this consultation with Lucy around the program that I've put together that was absolutely brilliant. Lucy's given me some amazing feedback and just some incredible insights from her book and just from her own experience sharing with me has given me a real, uh, the beginnings I should say, of, of a real deep understanding of the importance of, um, and all of the many aspects, I should say, of communication. Things that I wasn't at all aware of. I've been teaching yoga for a decade, and you know, it, to me, yoga is really teaching it is all about communication. And yet, just this, just these, so many aspects of it, I'm just totally not conscious of. And so, I I would love to have you talk to us a little bit more about, how, I guess, how and why you feel communication is so, uh, is such an, in, in, uh, a vital and important part of even just yoga, the practice of yoga, the teaching of yoga, the experiencing of the yoga. Wow. So if we had another two hours, I could probably <laughs> answer that question. <laughs> you get one uh, word. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Part two. No, no. <laughs> um, 
Gosh, where to start? I, I guess um, I, I do want to acknowledge Jill Danks, the co-author of my of our book, my book, we're co-authors, it's our book. Yeah. Um, she also coincidentally worked with Rogan for many years as well, first in the Melbourne office and then in the UK. I worked in the Sydney office and then in the US, um, which is kind of funny. And we had a, a chance meeting, literally a chance meeting in um, Camaray, Sydney, the first just towards the end of the first year I was here so I hadn't seen her for 10 years and we wow. met we turned around and went oh my god what are you doing here mm -hmm. um, in a cafe and um, she had uh, also left Rogan at about the same time but she'd um, gone down an inquiry of um, or, or from a work point of view she'd done um, executive coaching and then uh, transformational coaching and then transpersonal coaching Mm -hmm. But she'd also studied um, meditation and tantric philosophy. So she, she'd started to do a lot more of the self-reflection work and contemplative practices and so forth. But she'd never done yoga when she met me. Mm -hmm. And so she ended up coming to the Yoga Institute as well. And, uh, you know, she did the diploma and then the advanced diploma. And then she mainly used her yoga uh, teaching in her coaching. So she would use yoga tool, in, but she was a, a very high-level coach and and representatives, the International Coaches Federation in Australia and all sorts of things. Um, and it was, uh, she came to me in uh, 2015 and said, you know, do you want to write a book? You know, we, I, by that stage, I've been running um, communication skills for teaching yoga classes and also the communication skills training within the yoga therapy training mm -hmm. um, for about uh, five years at that stage. And, um, and I, was like, oh, well, okay. Like I'd never thought about writing a book and there's a whole story with that. But, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about what was our intention of writing mm. this book, mm. you know, and we just felt that yoga is such a incredible body of, um, I mean, it's, it's knowledge, but it's also practices and it's also, you know, pr predominantly shared through experience and, and so forth. So, to have all of this this gold, but for it not to be understood easily by students, let's just say that. So we, you know, started focusing there. Um, was the waste, you know? So you can know a whole lot about any subject, but if you can't communicate it clearly, then you're not going to be able to share it effectively. So it's for us, it's the the absolute critical link between a yoga teacher's experience and then their ability to teach it if that makes sense and yeah. then to your point about some insight that you're gaining now about communication is that there are many component parts there's the um and and it's and and all of them are trainable they can be broken down into skills that can be trainable so you can become you know i use the word confident before and we we refer to the competency model that people move through levels of competency when they're acquiring new skills or honing existing skills and, you know, when I start a workshop with any group of people, they've been competent to some level, obviously, because they're existing, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're there in the room, they've got yeah. families, they've got jobs, they've got friends, they've got, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but to, to really become conscious about your communication is appreciating all the component parts, how to work with them, and then how to be mo more effective with your sharing of information you're communicating so it can truly be received and understood and felt maria to your point before earlier and mm. felt 
um, which is a very big difference in the yoga world versus corporate world. Mm. And uh, yeah, so that's good. It's the missing link. There you go. Or the important link. Yeah. What? Go ahead, Maria. No, what I loved about the book was that um, I mean, I've heard and, and you know, you hear about communication and effective communication and holding space, but the way that you guys broke it down into its components was helpful because it's often an intuitive thing or it's a um, habitual thing. And so it, it helped to kind of um, put it all out there and then in a way, look at where you're weak and where you're strong and build on those strengths. So I appreciated the book a lot to be able to do, to, I guess, identify those areas that needed to be worked on. <laughs> mm. 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 And from what base? Mm. That, that means a lot to me hearing that from you. So thank you very much for that. Um, yeah. I, I appreciate it. I um, did want to pick up on one specific thing you said. Oh, we like to think with, with people's communication, it's about what's working well and what could they do differently next time? Um, there's very few things in communication that you would never do. And, um, you know, you wouldn't yell at a student two inches away from their face, probably. But if they were in danger, you might. So mm. you can't say never. But there are a lot of things that would be, you know, not necessarily skillful or helpful. That yeah. So what could you do differently next time is very much the model that we like to work in terms of feedback. What's working well and what could you do differently next time? Mm -hmm. And and then it is by um, you know breaking it down into these smaller parts because the the bottom line is people don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, and and what we say uh, in our closing comments in the book, and I say this at the end of all my workshops, is I would love for yoga teachers to start to think of being of practicing practicing swadhyaya of their communication mm -hmm. you know so be in you know the be um observing yourself with compassion mm -hmm. yeah and you know observe what's working well and be curious and experiment you know try new things and but they are all trainable skills you know i've worked with people for you know who who come in with all sorts of comfort levels or confidence levels or experience levels and uh, everybody and that's in the yoga world in the last 10 years but also in the corporate world for many many years and they were very successful already but but most people i've read i've met i think one person ever who i saw their presentation where there wasn't an area to improve mm, well really and if you and if I gave a presentation and watched myself, I'd have areas to improve. I mean, we're all in, you know, we're all in a constant state of change, and mm. and we're affected by our environment, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Are there just to kind of maybe illustrate it or bring it home for folks? Are there uh, misperceptions or, for lack of a better term, mistakes that are so commonly made? around communication that you that you could maybe share so that folks might even just get a sense for what we're talking about a little bit okay um well if you want to connect this is not a mistake this is yeah. something that people don't know they don't know it kind of thing. i'd say this first is if you want to connect with another person the the most important thing is to 
understand them and know as much about them as possible and be like them as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So we, we used to say in the corporate world that people like to buy from three different kinds of people. And I do bring this up in the yoga therapy training. It's, a, it's sort of controversial languaging to say buy, you know, as in buy, sell. Mm -hmm. um, but if you think about it as a yoga therapist, you're working with a client and you want them to buy into the practice that you've co-created to help mm -hmm. them with whatever they're there for, right? Mm -hmm. So there is a, sure. a buying, there's a sort of a, 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 some form of buying into, let's say. And so people like to buy from three different kinds of people. The, um, and I'll go in increasing importance. So the first level is people like to buy from people who look like they should be selling a product or service. Hmm. So the perfect example of that is if you go into a department store, all the people who are behind the cosmetic counters are wearing makeup in a manner that they think makes them look really good, right? So they look like they should be selling makeup. <laughs> or if you, you know, would you go and buy a gym membership from somebody who was 200 kilos and sucking on a can of Coke and eating a Big Mac? No, they don't look like they should be selling that product or service. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a really interesting question that crosses over in yoga teaching is what should you look like as a yoga teacher? And that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because you most importantly need to be you and, and authentic. But mm -hmm. do know that people will be influenced by how you look. Mm. They will. Um, so the second is people like to buy from people they'd like to be like. Mm -hmm. Okay, so kind of aspirational. Um, I always like to um, talk about Herma. So my first teacher, Herma was is I think six foot. She's from Holland. Um, she is. She's got a super bendy body. She could do any any pose you know ever created. And I so wanted to be like her when I grew up. And yeah. it had nothing to do with the physical body. Yeah. It all had to do with what a beautiful heart she had, how kind she was, her equanimity. Mm. That's what I aspired. So I bought from her because that's what I wanted. Mm. Yeah. And then the most important is people like to buy from people they are like. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And so there's the macro. So they, you have the same education level, same gender, maybe same age, same um, religious views, same political views, you know, and so it goes on. So there's sort of the more obvious things, which are the same, but actually it goes right down into the much more subtle of similar body language, facial expressions, vocal tones and breathing rate. Hmm. And, um, and so if you, going back to day-to-day -day communication, if you want to connect with somebody, the the most effective thing is to start to be like, come to be where they are. I don't want to mm. say be like them, because that sounds like mimicking, and I'm not suggesting that it's much more uh, skillful than that, but mm. to, to you know, listen to them and understand them and then speak to them in their terms and mm. so forth. So, um, so that would be uh, one thing I'd say. Mm. Uh, a very common mistake I see is, uh, particularly in presentations about yoga, is um, that there's the person presenting does not help the the students, the audience receive what's being shared because it doesn't have a clear structure. And I see a lot of really great information out there, but but. For communication, one thing that will help communication to be a lot more effective and understood and received is having a clear beginning, middle and end.
Mm. And so that's, uh, you know, in like presentations at conferences and things like that, it's within workshops, etc. But it's also even in a yoga class. I mean, if you think of yoga classes, you, you're sure you've been to a yoga class where you come in, you settle down, and then suddenly you're up doing, like it feels like you're way into the class and you've never got any chance to land or to, you know, to come into the room or anything. So there's no proper beginning. And then there's all the middle. And then you've probably been in a yoga class where, you know, you do either you do Shavasana for about, you know, a minute and then suddenly it's sit up and now let's go see you later. Or, or no, or no Shavasana, which I'm not saying you have to have Shavasana mm. at the end of a class, but, you know, there isn't a clear kind of this is the end of the class and, and let's now transition out into the world. Mm. So, you know, in yoga classes, they need to have a clear beginning, middle and end. Mm. And people like to know where they're going. So they want to be told up front where they're going. Mm. Yeah. So I could, I could go on. Yes. I've just taken that advice because that's, that's um, a, a huge a gap. And it's, it's, uh, it's hard, I think, here I'm giving myself an excuse, because there's, you want a degree of spontaneity or a degree of um, kind of real in-action exploration. But you're so right, even if you have that, you can have that anyway, but if you have a structure, you've got something to go back to. And there's a sense uh, that you're on the road. Yeah, okay. I'm really glad you, see, I, I'd like you to speak a bit more about that because I think what, what I'm suggesting is that there's, the structure is the framework in which what you're talking about takes place. Mm. Yes. Yeah, and I think I think my mistake has been that I sometimes think if it's overstructured, it's boring because I've been mm -hmm. to things where they're overstructured and it's like, I don't know, you almost feel like they've done this 25 times before and the exact timing was the same and there's a, there's a cardboardness to it. Mm -hmm. And so in an attempt, probably because I'm disorganized, but to run in completely the opposite direction, there's a sort of fly by it's the seat of your pants. Uh, it is Vata, but you yeah. can see in people I, I ran a, a presentation by my husband the other day and he's like, he just was like, oh my gosh, I want to know what I'm getting. He said exactly what you just said. I want to know what I'm getting. I want to know where it's going. And please take a lot of the writing off these PowerPoints because I don't want to read while you're doing it. And it was, it was, it was just so funny that it happened so recently and it was yeah. an exact reflection. He really wanted structure and he wanted to know what was going to happen to him and mm -hmm. what was expected, how long it would last, mm. when it would end. You know, mm. all that mm -hmm. yeah. and then they can relax to receive because otherwise yeah they're not present because they keep wondering when yeah. will it be over <laughs> yeah or where am i or yeah. what is what am I, what yeah. Yeah. do i need to know and and a part of that too is i think as yoga teachers we're really what what is really important for us is that we help our students feel safe yeah and that they can trust us Mm -hmm. And so by having that framework and, sh and communicating it, sharing it right up front, they can relax into their experience then and mm. know that you're holding them. So this is a little bit of going back to the holding space. It, it creates the container that the class can take place in then. Mm. Mm. Um, but Maria, you bring to mind for me um, back in the days in the, in the corporate world, I did a lot of work with advertising agencies as well. And mm. so I worked with the client um, managers, the relationship managers. I worked with the media people who, you know, bought and sold media, but I also worked with the creatives. So mm. these were like New York City ad agency, like wild creative people. 
and they I had a few times where those guys would come into the sessions and they were like furious with me that they were having to do this training <laughs> but but it was because they thought it was could, could, would completely quash their creativity they wouldn't be able to be spontaneous and etc etc mm. so um that and then they learned that wasn't the case what we mm. were doing was just helping people receive their crazy wild brilliant ideas mm. you know mm. and and it's a, it's somewhat synonymous with the yoga you know with our yoga classes because you know sometimes we're teaching some some let's say significant or deep or you know you know very meaningful teachings mm. and if they're not prepared to receive it then it'll either overwhelm and terrify them or, or scare them off or whatever or it'll just they just won't be oh oh is that important you know mm. that's, so, so yeah so it's you know the structure starts the first level is prepare your listener then deliver the message and then make sure they've received and understood it mm. yeah so that's the at structure at its most simple those are the three three components to it yeah brilliant yeah. yeah thank you so much for that you know okay so yeah. as we're starting to as we're starting to wrap it up because i know we've been we've taken up a bunch of your time mm. there is something that is coming to me that i would just really love to get your insights on and <laughs> no don't worry <laughs> yeah, um i am feeling like this at this time in our history we're in this really interesting and um, we're in this really interesting and kind of divisive place where I should say very polarized place. And, and, I'm, and I'm speaking about what's happening in the US, but I'm also just speaking about what I'm seeing happening all around the world. Mm -hmm. And some part of me says communication is the answer to this. You know, it's a big part of the answer to us being able to come to some common understanding. And so I would love to just hear any insights that you have about that. And, and perhaps even if there's anything that you can, I don't, I hate to put you on the spot, but if there's any advice or words of wisdom that you can kind of throw out to people around our ability to communicate, perhaps even with folks who have, are coming from a completely different point of view or or even just people that we desire to come to some common ground with. Mm. Wow. Um, well, I agree with you. I completely agree with you that that um, communication is going to be a huge part of any healing uh, mm. to take place. And the most difficult individual to communicate with is somebody with whom you have completely different opinions. Mm -hmm. So if you're committed to finding some um, some reconciliation or some peace or some common ground, let's say, the start point has to be listening, has to be listening mm -hmm. without trying to um, influence in any way, but just to receive and, and try and do it with a sort of an open mind where you're not judging I mean one of the things I teach a lot about is listening skills and we all have barriers to listening and one of the biggest barriers to listening is judgment and and values based blocks so so because of your own values you immediately put up a barrier to what the person's saying so it takes an enormous amount of effort to listen to somebody and to be present with somebody with whom you have completely different views 
and um, and so the the first step is to realize that that's the case awareness and then the second is to make a choice to stay there anyway mm-hmm. yeah the third is um, a, an aspect which is doesn't sound positive but it leads on to maybe a helpful point which is we can't change another person we can you know we can barely control ourselves so we certainly can't <laughs> control another person right um, so I think the way that we can contribute to some kind of much more desirable society and way of being in the world is through role modeling and uh, and so in time people will want to be more like us you know that now that aspirational side I think mm-hmm. and, and you know that's for our kids but I think it's for for other people in our lives and and um, and so that then loops back to our personal practices and you know keeping true to what we you know know are you know uh, I was going to say right ways to live that's too even that's too black and white I don't like wrong right black mm. white or bad but you know ways that are you know informed by love and compassion and acceptance mm. appreciation you know the, if we if we as yogis can and this is my personal intention to to be in the world with that energy mm. you know and so to be in the world with that energy I have to have my personal practices to nourish me so I can be there with this energy present no matter what's happening around me. Yeah, so. Beautiful. Wow, what a perfect full circle. That is just so, that is just so nourishing, even just those words. Mm. Thank you, thank you so much, Lucy. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for who you are, thank you for the work that you do, and thank you for those beautiful words of wisdom. And oh, a wonderful you're so welcome. Oh. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. And I recommend I recommend the book Conscious yes. Communication. Yeah. yeah. It's it's connecting connecting conscious, conscious communication yeah. for yoga and teachers and therapists. Obviously there are workshops as well, so we'll link to all of that. But, we will. Um, okay. I'm and sure everybody listening. The there's what? More on more the way. workshops. What Thanks what else? Shara, there's going to be more workshops on the way uh-huh. online. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do part two, though, by the way, please. <laughs> I know. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, I just think there's so much more. So much. I know. Definitely. Yeah. More specific, though, I think it'd be really interesting even mm-hmm. to get questions and responses from people and find out what they want and need, because I, I, we've got a hunger for it. I mean, mm-hmm. I managed to get a little therapy out of that myself, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I imagine other people want that. I feel really motivated to... <laughs> Yeah, I would would love to. That would be great. But you really should also talk to Heather. I mean, she would be amazing to get you guys connected for sure. Thank you. Um, But yeah, I would love to come again. But I mean, seriously, it's because of the energy I have and vitality I have because of now my, this whole new world of Ayurvedic way of being in the world. How do you explain it, Shara? Because I don't know how to say it to people, you know, like, it's it's not just i just want to say shara's sitting there looking so pleased (laughs) she's she's looking at like your like your your her child who just came home with a gold card from school you know so cute it's i don't it's a different experience for everyone and honestly i think in in many in some ways i think your your experience prior to some of the challenges that you've had and all that has tuned you in so much to your own internal um workings i suppose for lack of a better term that mm. all of the all of the 
it, it, it increases the delta. Like it, it's all of the changes for you, have, you've just felt them so much and that feeling comes through and like who you are and how you are in the world. And so it's just, you're just shining and it's wonderful to see that, you know? And it's, it's hard for me to describe because I, you know, my experience of it has been different to yours in many ways. Right. And yeah. everyone's experience is different because they're starting from somewhere different. And so that's why I just love connecting with you and seeing you and hearing your experience because it's, it's just another um, beautiful illustration of the power of the stuff that I believe in and I look for and I see, but I, you know, I don't see it as beautifully as you're expressing it all the time. So at the moment, yeah. You know, Maria, the part of it was your um I don't know if it's your first or second podcast that you guys did. Mm -hmm. And Maria interviewed you about Ayurveda. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. How good was that? That was amazing. That was it was so amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. So I'd listened to this one about Ayurveda because um what we're not talking about is what a what a negative impression I had of Ayurveda before I came to working with Shara. <laughs> Me too. And, yeah, right. And I think it was because you asked those questions and it had me think, oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, maybe. it's because the way that Shara put it was so easy to understand. I was, mm -hmm. it changed my life, that conversation. Because mm -hmm. yeah. it's all about relationships. Yeah. 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 And all about your qualities meeting other qualities. And that is such a simple, beautiful way to move into the world. Mm. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's such a great story. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Very cool. Mm. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks again. It's yeah. been a fabulous conversation. We appreciate your time. Thanks so grateful. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, I certainly hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. So much goodness in there. And all of that is just a reflection of Lucy's openness and wisdom. You know, I really love it when we get a chance to learn a little bit about ourselves in the midst of these conversations. And you know what? Truth be told, that's definitely part of the reason that we do it. And do it, we shall. We're lining up a bunch more conversations with some wise and interesting folks to share with you. And we may even sneak in a chat between the two of us about what's going on in our lives and in the world somewhere in there. You know, it seems only fitting with so much happening right now to acknowledge the impact that it's having. You know, we're nearly rounding the corner into 2021. Holy moly. And we're starting to think out into what this year ahead might actually look like. But of course, we have learned, if we've learned anything from this year, it's that we need to hold our plans lightly, which honestly is a pretty powerful lesson. So what are you all thinking as we move into the final phase of 2020? Who has this year asked you to be and how have you been able to meet that? We would love to hear from you. So please feel free to drop us a line. And we would not want to wrap this session without thanking you all for listening and for the words of encouragement and praise. We really appreciate it all. And we're looking forward to our continued connection. So until next time, take care of yourselves. Namaste. Namaste.